Well, this morning we're in a series, and we've been in the series called Lost Connection. Actually, we've been in the book of Ephesians for the last, uh, well, the last 24 weeks, almost half of the year, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we still got a lot of more scripture to go through and a lot of more scripture to, to trudge through. And so we've come to this place in the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul begins talking about relationships. The name of this series, this portion of Ephesians, is called Lost Connection. In other words, we've been looking at in relationships, what are the things that cause us to lose a connection? What are the things that cause us to break a connection in life? And so we're, uh, we're looking at today this, this subject of that you're coming through loud and clear. In other words, a lot of times our actions come through louder and clearer than our words. I mean, it's, it's really in the way a, way a person lives their life, their actions, it speaks volumes to, to us. And so Paul begins talking about this issue. He begins talking about how to live the Christian life in, in, a, in a deeper way, especially in the context of a local church. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can either turn to, click to with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 is what we're going to look at. And we're also going to be in Philippians chapter 2 when, when, when Paul in Philippians writes about the attitude or the mind of Christ that we just need to understand. So while you're clicking to, turning to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, let, let, let me give you a little bit of trivia. Um, you, can take, you can take one chicken out of 10 different chicken farms, and then you could take those 10 chickens that are strangers, in other words, to one another, because they've come from 10 different farms, and you can take 10 chickens, you can place 10 chickens in one pen, and then if you sit around and you observe what takes place, it's amazing what begins to take place. And it, it takes place very, very quickly. It's something that, that researchers would call like this dominance hierarchy. It's a linear hierarchy. In other words, this, chickens, when, when you put chickens in, in the pen for the very first time together, they will immediately de determine a dominance hierarchy or a linear hierarchy. In other words, hens will real quickly determine which is hen number one, which is hen number two, which is hen number three, and which is hen number four, all the way down to hen number ten. And so this is called a dominance hierarchy, but we would know this as a pecking order of life. In other words, when you start looking at this linear hierarchy and you realize what chickens do, you realize this, that, that hen number one can turn and peck hen number two without any fear of any retaliation from hen number two. Hen number two, in response, can turn and to hen number three and like peck the daylights out of hen number three without any fear of, of any retaliation from hen number three. Hen number three, in turn, can turn and peck hen number four all the way down to hen number nine, which turns to hen number ten and can just like machine gun hen number ten. The only problem is hen number 10 has no one to peck. Life would have to be pretty frustrating to be hen number 10, right? And maybe you say, you know what? I kind of feel like hen number 10. I kind of feel like hen number 10 in my life. I feel like hen number 10 in my family. I feel like hen number 10 in, in my school. I feel like hen number 10 at the office. But when you begin to look at this, you realize that all of, king, all of the animal kingdom has this pecking order or this dominance hierarchy to where they all have similar instincts. And guess what? We as humans, we have similar instincts as well. We just don't like to talk about it. I mean, you can spend two hours at a local social gathering, and you can determine real quickly the pecking order and kind of where you fit in in the group. Uh, white collar versus blue collar, employee versus employer. Uh, hi. <laughs> I'm sorry, ADD. 
It's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Employer from employee. And so, if, so you can spend like a couple of hours at a social gathering, and all of a sudden you realize where you kind of fit in. And so you begin listening for titles and numbers and positions and placements, and you begin listening for any tip-offs to where you can figure out where you fit in. And so we tag people by, by a profession or by a career or by education or, or where they fit in in, 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 in life. And, and you and I may think this is harmless, but this is where the plot thickens. And this is where it's dangerous. This is what Paul's talking about. We may think, hey, this is just kind of normal. This is just kind of how life happens. But the dangerous thing is this, is that once the pecking order is determined, we treat people above us with great respect, and we treat people beneath us with less respect. We tend to value people above us because we know sometimes or we think they hold our future. They can give us a raise, a promotion. They can give us advancement. In other words, they can, they can do something for us. And so we tend to treat people above us better, or we value them, and we tend to devalue people beneath us. Human system really is not much different than chickens. Now, chickens can say they, they do this because of an animal instinct. Humans, we have to say we, we do this because of sin, because of the flesh or self-centeredness. We have to say we do this because of self-absorption, self-preoccupation, self-advancement. I mean, we're smart enough, right? We're smart enough to know that those above us can do something to help us. Um, And we realize that those beneath us can do nothing to help us. And so in, in the middle of this, all of a sudden the Apostle Paul says, time out. Let's live life at a higher level. Let's live life at a different level. In other words, let, let's play differently than the world because we're believers. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, here's what Paul writes as he begins writing about this. He says, therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In other words, what Paul begins saying, say, hey, instead of us like imitating the world system, instead of us imitating how, 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 how the world does it, how about this? How about let's mature in Christ and how about us imitate God? In other words, that word in the Greek, uh, imitate, uh, is, where, is really where we get our word mimic. In other words, till we come to this place to, instead of mimicking the world, how about this? How about us mimic God? I mean, I don't know if you guys have been around a, a child lately. Uh, we, we have grandchildren, and like they're awesome, and they're like perfect. And, and uh, so whenever we're around Gavin, Gavin's a little bit over two. And Gavin just naturally mimics everything that goes on. I mean, to where you want to you wanna be careful what you say. Uh, you want to be careful how you, loud you yell at the Cowboys or whatever's on TV. Uh, you want to be careful what you do around Gavin because guess what? Gavin's going to mimic everything that you do. 
This is what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about, hey, what if we had that childlike faith and we really mimicked and we learned to mimic God to where we imitate him? And he goes deeper and he says, oh, and as beloved children. In other words, when you and I became a Christian, uh, we became children of God. He adopted us into the family. And that is just so cool and so so huge theologically, which means this, that there is nothing you and I can ever do to get kicked out of his family, no matter what anybody's ever told you. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot get kicked out of the family. That once you've been adopted, Paul used that word adoption over and over in the theology of salvation, which means this, in the Roman world, when you adopted someone, you could, you could never kick them out of your family. You could your natural-born children, but you never could. Once you adopted a child in his society, in their society, in the Roman society, that child was yours for life. And so God was saying, guess what? His beloved children, you've been, you've been like adopted, and, and I love you, and I have this everlasting love for you. And he says, as a result of that, and why, why don't you just walk in love? And that's not so much about putting one foot in front of the other as it is this, that why don't you live life differently? Why don't you have a different way of living and he says, and as Christ gave his life up for us, in other words, Christ had this sacrificial love for us. And so, so when you start meshing all this together, you realize that mimicking God or imitating God is living a life of love because you are not valuing people above you and devaluing people below you. You guess what? You're valuing everybody because you're no longer self-absorbed. Listen, let me just tell you this. Someone that lives their life that is self-absorbed and it's all about them will never have joy in their life. Self-absorption, self-focus will lead you to a life of loneliness and isolation. And you will wonder why you don't have any deep relationships around you. And the reason is this, is because life is all about you. It's just, it's just what, about, what can someone do for you? And so he says, and therefore, let's just imitate God. Let's live a life of love. And so let me ask you this. It's just, it's just a simple question, but it's a deep question. Why are you a part of a church? You know, why are you part of a church? Why are you part of a church community? I mean, broadly speaking, it can be one or two reasons. It can be that you go for the good of yourself. It's what you can get out of it. It's so your needs can be met, so it meets your preferences, and you, and you just kind of feel better about yourself. And so broadly speaking, it can be one or two ends on the spectrum. One is that you go for self. The other thing is, is you go for others. In other words, there's a difference between an inward focus and an outward focus because here's what Paul's saying and here's what Paul's trying to help us understand. The way that we learn to mimic God, the way that we learn to imitate God is by coming in community with other believers to where we serve and to where we give and we, to where we build relationships with one another. See, the problem is if I go to church for me, then I come to a service and I sing some songs and I hear a sermon and then I slip out as soon as the final amen is said. And I'm no longer in touch with that community. And I'm just good to do whatever, whatever I'm comfortable with. Because the church is really there for me. It's really there to meet my needs. It's really there to take care of me. The other end of the spectrum is this. You go to church, not for yourself, but you go to church for, for others. And when I go to church for others, I, I come to a service and, and I worship and I, I sing some songs and I... I hear a sermon, but when I hear the final amen, man, I am right back in community with others looking for others to serve, looking for others to come into community with. 
People live, leave relationships because of this self-absorption or self-preoccupation all the time. People leave churches all the time because the church is no longer meeting my needs. It's no longer about my preferences and my likes and my dislikes. And so, so since they're not meeting my needs, I'll go find another church. People do that in marriages all the time, right? I mean, you hear people talk all the time about, you know what? He's just not meeting my needs anymore. She's just not meeting my needs anymore telling you a life of self-absorption and self-preoccupation will lead you to a life of loneliness and isolation to where you have like no joy in your life. And the Bible talks about the way that we learn to mimic God, the way that we learn to imitate God is by willing to come into a healthy community of believers. Just look at some of these verses. I just, I just pulled some verses out of Scripture that talked about this. 1 Corinthians 1.11, in fact, is one of our life journaling verses, says this. Paul's talking. He says, hey, he says, be imitators of me. In other words, mimic me as I mimic Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Everybody needs an example, right? Everybody needs someone that we can look to that, that kind of helps us learn how to flesh out the Christian life. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, and you became imitators of us, I'm at the leaders, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, it, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves as an example to imitate. In other words, these guys are saying, we go to church for others. And we get it, we understand. We go to church to help others, to minister to others. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke you, uh, to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and mimic their faith. Imitate their faith. 3 John 11 says this, says, Beloved, do not imitate, do not mimic evil, but mimic good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so Paul begins fleshing this out in Philippians. I mean, he begins talking about the attitude that Jesus had. Three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was trying to teach us that, that our actions speak loud and clear. Our actions come through loud and clear. I mean, you can take anyone's actions and you determine your priorities. You can take your checkbook and your calendar and you can walk through the, the entry, uh, the expenses and all of that other stuff. And you can walk through all of the appointments and all of the things. And you can tell real quickly what a person values and what a person doesn't value. And listen, let me tell you something. It is impossible to make major headway against self-centeredness and move into a stance of service without supernatural help. We all struggle with it. I struggle with it. Every one of us struggles with it. It's something natural, some part of the sin nature. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me give you three things, three actions that just speak so loud and so clear in relationships that when I'm mimicking God, these, th these three things are true in my life. The first one is this, is when I mimic God, I am selfless. 
In other words, when I, am, when I am living a life of love, when I am living the life that God has called me to do, then I am selfless. Uh, selfless. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, here's what the scripture says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Listen, I'm telling you, when, when you and I become worried about the pecking order, who can do something for you or who can't, what scripture says, you're... You're not mimicking God. Fact is, the scripture would say it deeper than that. You're breaking the heart of God. You're grieving him. Because guess what? He, he values the people that you view above you or beneath you. He values all people because he created them. And that's why he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And he's, he's talking about, he's talking about competition. It's, too often, in, too often in organizations, too often in, in relationships. People compete with one another when you're on the same team. Too many times in marriages, too many times in relationships, instead of complimenting one another, and we'll talk about this as we get farther into Ephesians chapter, chapter 6 about marriage, Instead of complimenting one another, we begin to compete with one another. And when you compete with someone, you see them as an enemy. You see them as an adversary. You see them as a person trying to keep you from getting what you want and what you desire. Instead of seeing them as on the same team. Uh, many years back, I think it was 2006, it was, I was watching, you know, uh, college bowl games and and Penn State was playing Florida State and uh, you know it was just one of those bowl games marathon type deals and so Penn State's playing Florida State it was a hard fought game uh, each team had the opportunity to win the game in fact is Penn State field goal kicker kicked uh, it would have been the game winning field goal he missed game still tied Florida State ran the ball back down seconds left the, the Florida State's field goal kicker kicked the ball he missed, could have won the game, could have been a hero. He missed. He goes over to the sidelines, he goes over to the bench, and he, he breaks down and he, he starts crying. And he sits down on the bench, and you know, you know how the television cameras do, and they, they want to they embarrass or film every part of that young man's disappointment. And I sat there and watched what happened. You know what the Florida State, you know what his teammates did? And they got up. And they stood around that bench, they stood around him, and they picked up training towels and everything else they could grab, and they held him up and shielded him from the cameras so the national audience would not see him crying. So Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't devalue the people above you, or don't value the people above you more than you value the people beneath you telling you, selfishness is a root cause, what James says, of any problems in relationships. A self-absorbed life, a life that it's all about me. You know, let me tell you, some of, the, some of the happiest, most joyful, fulfilled people I know are people that serve and give, are people that are outward-focused, People that understand life is not all about them. And that's why Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, to be self-absorbed, 
to understand that you're not the only one in the, in the relationship. Second principle when I, when I mimic God, when I imitate God, is this. I imitate God when I consider the needs of others. To where I realize, you know what, to where, to where I realize I'm not the only one in the family. I'm not the only one in the marriage. I'm not the only one at the office. I'm not the only one in the church. In other words, to where you're, you're willing to like consider like the, the hurts and the pains or the needs of others. Verse 3, again, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant. We need to understand that word significant than yourselves. So significant does not mean superior. Significant does not mean better than you. You know what that word significant means in the Greek? The word significant in the Greek means worthy of respect. We live in a generation. We live in a selfie generation, right, where everything's about us and all the pictures about us. And you know what? I, I don't know if you're like me. I hate family pictures, right? I mean, I hate them. I mean, I mean, I just hate the dynamics. I hate what goes on with people because you know what? When you take pictures, everybody only cares what their picture looks like, even though it's a group, right? I mean, if, if, if I took a selfie here and I just took a picture of our congregation and, and put it up on the screen just real quickly, who would be the first person you would go look at? You, right? Right, you want to make sure you look good. I mean, I've never, listen, I'm telling you, I've never had a family picture where someone in the family says, hey, you know what, that's not really a good picture of me, but dad, that's a great picture of you. We'll frame it, we'll hang it on the wall. And Paul is saying, you know what, when I consider the needs of others, and this word significant means that every, listen, everybody's worthy of respect. We live in a generation of people that say things like, you know what, I'll respect you when you earn it. I'll respect you when you deserve it. Man, that's out of the flesh. When I mimic God, everybody's worthy of respect. Everybody's to be valued. Because God formed them and God created them. See, worthy of respect means you don't insult people, you don't put people down. You don't tear them down with gossip and slander and all those other things. You just get it. That everybody's worthy of respect. And this is the opposite of the culture that we, that we live in. Humility is when you look at the needs of others, it's just not only focused on your needs. See, Paul, just so we're clear, Paul did not say in relationships you disregard yourself. God gave you a, a self, and God gave you a personhood, and God gave you an identity. Look, look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so your interests matter. Your needs matter. But it's not the only thing that matters. But also, but also, the same way you look at your own needs, look at the needs of others. The same way you hold your needs up in a level of importance, look at the needs of others in the same importance. See, that's why we don't come into community for the good of ourselves only. That's why we don't come to church and it's just all about us. We get it and we understand that we come into community for a reason. Because people need models. People need an example. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, Karen and I, my wife, um, neither one of us really came out of a Christian home. 
uh, we were like cultural Christians, like all good people go to heaven and you're a Christian and you're born a Christian and all that other stuff. We didn't live like Christians. And I can only remember a, a very few times of even going to church. And so I met Christ in 1981. <laughs> I met Karen in 1982. Karen met Christ uh, right about the time that we were uh, meeting. We, were, we, we started dating in 82. We're married in 1983. And now that you've got two brand new Christians trying to figure out this whole God thing and what the scriptures say and what the scriptures mean, what that means in marriage and all of those other things. And, and we wanted to break some of, the, some of the stuff from our families. We wanted to break some of the, the chain in our family and from generation and all that other stuff. And so Karen and I joined uh, a newlywed life group in our church. Uh, the Papools were their last name, the teachers. And they had been married like 30 years, and for us, that seemed like an eternity. And you know what? We would gather once a week. We'd open up scriptures together. And I'm just going to tell you this. They were horrible Bible teachers. That just wasn't their gift. That's not what we were there for. We were hungry for an example. We were hungry for someone to mimic we were hungry to know that you could have a successful marriage and you could, you could be married for like 30 years, seem like an eternity, and still love one another, still care for one another, and, and, and still look at each other like you love each other. And we were like a sponge to the papools. When they'd talk about their relationship, they'd talk about their marriage, they'd talk about situations, and they would speak a word or they would speak into our marriage in our situation and because we, we, had, we had a rough few years. I mean, we had a rough go. Uh, the, first, the first couple of years was really, really tough where we fleshed out some of these verses. I mean, you know, you know the verse that says that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and then join with his wife and the two shall become one. We fought over which one we would become. <laughs> and the papools helped us to understand. Look not only on your own interest. Your interest matters. Your needs matter. God gave you a self, gave you a person. He gave you identity but you're not the only one in the marriage. You're not the only one in the relationship. I don't know what we would have done if the Papools had decided church for us, it's only for us. You don't care about anybody else in the community. I mean, we can open up the word. We can, we can look at scripture on our own. We can get out of it what we need. We're mature believers. Uh, we got this marriage thing figured out. See, the Papools understood Christian community is deeper than just what I can get out of it. It's what I can give. You know, we still, we still keep in contact with the Papools. Last weekend, is just unbelievable, but last weekend we had 275 children in our children's ministry. Average-sized church in, in the U.S., somewhere between 50 and 65 folks. 
that's a large church. Who's going to serve them? Who's going to mimic God for them? Who's going to give the next generation an example of how to follow Christ? Who are going to be the ones in our community, in our church, that are just going to stand up and say, follow me as I follow Christ? I'm not perfect, but I'm following the one who is perfect. Sunday night, last Sunday night, I showed back up here, 6 o'clock, youth worship is happening. And... (laughs) There's like, there's over 115 students uh, in this worship center. Connect ministry was, was alive and going and happening. There are like kids, there are like kids everywhere. Who ministers to them? Who ministers to them in a, in a, a community? That people every week saying, I'd love to be in a life group. I'd love to get with a group of people that it could help me just flesh out life. Life on life, so I can understand this. And what, what Paul is saying, what Paul is trying to help us to understand, church, the best way God matures us, the only, by the way, the only way God really matures us is in Christian community. By working out some things. By being around some people that are mimicking God. And the Bible says, well, watch this, he, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so the Bible talks about this, that, that you should have enough self-concern for, for yourself, food and rest and safety and, and shelter, and you should have enough self-respect. In other words, not to allow people to hurt you or manipulate you or intimidate you or violate you or abuse you. You should have enough healthy self-esteem to where you know that, that, that God loves you and he cares about you and you have value. But when you and I become Christians, when we enter into that relationship with Christ, that we should say, God, here am I. Man, here am I. Just, just use me. Just use me in such a way that, that I can be used and I can give people an example. Listen, let me tell you something. Paul is talking about living a life of love and considering the needs of others. Psychologists and, and counselors will tell you the number one most difficult disorder for them to treat is narcissism. Narcissism is this disorder to where someone thinks, guess what, it's all about me, life is all about me. It's a condition to where an individual believes the whole world revolves around them, the organization revolves around them, the family revolves around them, and that they're the center of the world, and that my needs are more important than anybody else's needs. And the Bible says, you know what the Bible says about this? The Bible says that person is dangerous. That person is dangerous in relationships. That person is dangerous in the office. That person is dangerous in the church. That person will destroy churches, will destroy marriages, will destroy uh, careers and professions and companies. And Paul is saying, live a life to where you understand that you're not the center of the world and live a life in such a way to where you just, you just understand and consider the needs and just be willing to consider the needs of, of, of others. I mean, Jesus in Mark chapter 10 is talking to the disciples and, and, uh, and, and miracles are happening and people are pressing in with Jesus and Jesus is becoming more and more uh, uh, popular and he's, becoming, he's like becoming a, a celebrity. And then the disciples are like giving interviews and the disciples start fighting over who's going to ride shotgun in heaven. Two disciples begin to fight and one will sit on the right and the other one will sit on the left. Jesus overhears this and he goes to them and says, what are you guys doing? And go with Jesus, we want to decide, in other words, we want to decide the pecking order in heaven. And we want to make sure we're going to ride he- uh, shotgun in heaven. And Jesus looked at them and says, all of my teaching, you guys still don't get it, do you? Life is still all about you, isn't it? 
The third and the last thing when we mimic God that's true in our life is this, is when I mimic God, I have the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Scripture says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus was like the master of relationships. He modeled, he was our example. And he said, if you want to get along with people, even those that are hard to get along with, look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus was a master at getting along with people that were difficult to get along with. In other words, he says, have the same attitude, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't demand his rights. He didn't even defend his rights. He was willing to give up his rights. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. In other words, he had this serving attitude. How do you know if you have a serving attitude? How do you respond when someone asks you to serve? How do you respond when someone asks you to help? How do you respond when there's a need in a church? How do you respond when there's a need in a family? Because your actions speak louder than your words. I mean, it comes through like loud and clear where your priorities are. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus was our example, and he was willing to sacrifice himself for the benefit of others. Christ saw my need and your need that we had a debt that we could not pay. And he humbled himself. Most amazing thing to me about him is he left the comforts of heaven. He knew what heaven was like. He knew how great heaven was. And he was willing to leave the comfort of heaven for my benefit and for your benefit. He put our best interest ahead of his best interest. And he came and he bled and he died on a cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the person who steps up to a bloodstained cross and look to the one that hung there and died says, take my life. Take myself. I'll serve you. And I'll serve others. Where you send me, I'll go. Whoever you send me to, I'll serve. Where you point me, I'll go. I'll follow you. No conditions. And Jesus would say, that's the person who finds joy. That's the person that finds fulfillment. A self-absorbed life will always lead you to a life of loneliness, isolation, and no joy. A life all in Christ where you consider not only your needs, but the needs of others, will lead you to a life of fulfillment and a life of unbelievable joy because life is no longer about you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you just real quickly, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe more importantly, how does God want you to respond Maybe, maybe you've been checking out Christianity for, a, for a, a number of weeks, a number of months, and you, for whatever reason, you haven't, you haven't crossed the line. Maybe this is the morning that, that you just you, you go ahead and you cross the line and say, Lord, I, I just choose. And I know my sin has separated me from you.
I don't understand all there is to understand about the Christian life. Fact is, I, I got a lot of questions. But with all of my heart, with all of my mind, to the very best of my ability, I'm asking you to come into my life and I want to start a relationship with you. I just want to follow you. And wherever, wherever you lead me, I'll go. Whoever you ask me to serve, I'll just serve. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Help me to understand it's, it's not all about me. Men and women sacrificed and provided a place for me to come and worship so I could meet you. And I want to do the same for others. Maybe you're a believer. And maybe you realize, you know what? Maybe I've been living a self-absorbed life. Maybe it has been all about me. And I know where that has ended up. And I know where that's gotten me. And Lord, I'm just rededicating my life to you. Lord, I want to learn how to live a life where I not only consider my needs, but I consider the needs of others. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I'm carrying a burden. I just need someone to pray for me. We believe you already know who you are, that God's already made it clear. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relational issue, it's a health issue, we want to pray for you. So just in a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. If you need prayer in any area, after I pray and we stand, as you stand up, would you just step out and begin making your way down to the front? Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name, the power of your word. Father, we ask that you'd pull this church closer to you and that we'd respond to you, that prayers would be answered, people would know that they have met with you as they've humbled themselves, just received prayer. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.